You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back to The Rundown. Got to give a shout out to my boys over at The Pit Stop. Follow them on Twitter at The Pit Stop, T-R-S-R. That's James Wilson and Brett Wiseman who were just on with us here uh, doing our NASCAR for Dummies segment uh, for people like myself who don't follow NASCAR, but I'm intrigued by the Fox commercials they've been playing that this is going to be the greatest season ever. So if you ever want to get into NASCAR, now's a great time to try to get into it. Listen to them 6 p.m. right behind me here on the Friday Rush on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. I want to talk some Hornets today because there's a lot of stuff to talk about regarding the Hornets. They've kind of become the national darling of the NBA all of a sudden. Uh, so I had to go and pull a knowledgeable fella here. He's the co-host of the Believe in Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with former Hornets point guard Muggsy Bogues. Please welcome Sam Dracula to the rundown. What's going on, Sam? Hey, I appreciate you calling me knowledgeable. That's that's awfully nice of you. <laughs> I like to butter up my guests at the very hey. beginning, makes them feel good, get them all warm feeling, and then we just dive right into it. Um, one of the things that we got to talk about right off bat is the rookie, LaMelo Ball. The rookie mm-hmm. is killing it right now. Uh, he's averaging 21.6 points in the past eight games, 49% shooting from the floor, 44% from three. With Ball on the floor, Charlotte is plus 7.6 per 100 possessions in terms of points per 100 possessions. Uh, head coach James Borrego, he'll have a pretty good problem once Devontae Graham comes back from injury. Are you feeling the three-guard lineup that Borrego trotted out before the Graham injury, or will either Graham or scary Terry Rozier need to come off the bench going forward because it looks like LaMelo has implanted himself in the starting lineup for the foreseeable future? Yeah, so all those guards, super talented, very good players, but personally, I, I'm not a fan of all three of them on the floor at the same time for long stretches. If you want to play the matchup game, here for it. But what I notice tends to happen is with Terry, Devontae, and LaMelo on the floor at the same time, LaMelo, when he's not the ball handler, he'll kind of just hang out on the corner three spot. Mm. And that's not a strong suit, you know? Um, he can hit the shot. He can hit open three, but I think he's most, most useful handling the rock, orchestrating. And then Terry, we see his uh, his, his um, spot-up shooting ability. Devontae can hit the three at a high clip. I would much, in that setup, I would much rather see LaMelo handling it. If not, then bring on a forward, bring on a big, and get away from the three guards. Do you think they're heading towards a situation where they're going to have to trade either Graham or Rogier? Because in the beginning, to be honest, I, I was against them signing Rogier to begin with. I thought it was a a knee-jerk reaction to losing Kimba last year, and I thought they overpaid for him. Now, Terry's having a great year. I'm not going to take anything away from him. Um, he's doing literally everything the coaching staff asked for, but it feels like there's a log jam right there in that position, and it's like, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Devontae Graham, who actually probably should have won most improved player last year, or would you rather have Terry Rogier? Because uh, I think somewhere along the way, the Hornets are going to have to make some moves, and one of these two guys is going to get included in that move. Which one would you rather keep, Rogier or Graham? I'd rather keep Terry. Um, we have, I say we like him on the team. Uh, Terry's on the books <laughs> for this year and next year on $19 million. Devontae's approaching that point in his career where the Hornets are going to have to decide whether or not they want to pay him. So he's more tradable in that respect. He's a year younger than Terry Rogier. And he has a, a, a lower cap um, like uh, responsibility, so to speak. So I think that's more that may be a more valuable piece. I think Terry is I give Terry the edge um, game wise over Devontae. So I would rather if I have to lose one of them, I'd rather trade Devontae rock out with Terry because Terry's been so clutch for this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, this season, uh, Gordon Hayward leading the charge and Terry's right behind him. Devontae got off to a slow start. He's heating up lately uh, before he got hurt. Unfortunately, like the game he got hurt, he was like four or five from three. Like he was really feeling it and we lost him to that groin injury. So hopefully he gets back and continues where, where he left off. But I, I would move Devontae given the choice between the two. Follow Sam on. Follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Dracula. He is the uh, co-host of the Believe uh, in excuse me the Believe in Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with Muggsy Bogues, uh, Lamelo, and young forward Miles Bridges. They seem to be on ESPN highlights or viral clips online every other day. I feel like anytime mm-hmm. I go on Twitter, if the Hornets played the night before, there's going to be a clip of Lamelo and, and uh, Miles doing something that we hadn't really seen in Hornets uniforms in a while. What makes the combo of Lamelo Ball to Miles Bridges so special? 
And is it the beginning of a real core of talent in Charlotte? Can you see them as building blocks going forward? Oh, most definitely. Um, Miles is in his third year. We've seen him get better each year. Um, and with LaMelo, him being a pass first point guard really suits Bridges' game of attacking the rim. Like that lob threat is a very real thing. And before the Hornets got hit with all these injuries and when LaMelo was coming off the bench, those two would come into the game at the same time around the six minute mark in the first quarter. So you had that instant injection that of pop. excitement. Yeah. yeah. And the opposing team had to keep their heads on a swivel because LaMelo will send that ball up court in a moment's notice and find somebody. And oftentimes it was Miles Bridges. And uh, they seem to be, have a real like solid rapport. Also, you see them in dead ball spots, like really dapping each other up, smiling, joking around. And that really goes, I don't know. I want to say that's with a lot of players on the team with LaMelo. Like mm -hmm. after one of the games, uh, uh, Malik Monk was getting interviewed and he, he lit up talking about LaMelo ball. Like he, wow. it was like, yeah, it, it was like he got a newborn puppy in his hands. He was <laughs> he was so psyched to talk about LaMelo Ball. And that's something about LaMelo that is infectious. His attitude is, is on point. His game is looking to be really on point. So it's really exciting. But yeah, LaMelo and, and Bridges has a little Lob City 2.0 potential yeah. going forward. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because I was actually uh, on the LaMelo Ball bandwagon before we drafted him. He was the guy that I zeroed in on that they needed to have. Because I looked at it like Charlotte had good players, but not a star, like yep. someone that could go national. And out of the three guys at the top of the draft that everyone was circling around, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, and LaMelo, to me, LaMelo was the one that had the biggest uh, or the highest ceiling in terms of being a star and actually getting Charlotte on a national level in terms of, uh, of people watching them play. And I, I didn't know it was going to happen this quickly. Uh, you know, LaMelo is only 19 years old, but he, he, he's played in grown men leagues, you know, over the past two yep. years. So he kind of came in with an advantage and that, that showed immediately is once he was able, like you said, he plays better with the ball in his hands, as opposed to standing around. Once Borrego started putting him in the starting lineup and kind of slowly turning the keys over to him, the Hornets kind of turned into something else. I was shocked uh, earlier this week. Irvin Magic Johnson came out on Twitter yeah. and was like, you know, the Hornets are my favorite team to watch in the NBA right now. We don't get that kind of love, <laughs> like ever, like from right. anyone. We're kind of like just left in the basement, and we're just kind of one of those teams that, uh, you know, teams like to load up on wins for. Not this year, man. Like the Hornets have turned into an actual fun, exciting team to watch. Um, one of the moves they made actually in the offseason forward Gordon Hayward's 120 million four-year contract it raised a lot of eyebrows started a lot of social media arguments and whatnot when it was signed uh from many Hornets fans and outsiders when it was announced has Hayward silenced those critics in your mind with his play a quarter through this season yeah and um what I have notifications on for Woj and uh, oh yeah <laughs> I had <laughs> I saw that <laughs> it, I uh, was I recorded like we had the, it happened so fast. The draft happened and then the Hayward signing was like the day after or something like yeah, that. Maybe two yeah. days after. And there was a lot of talk at the time about him going to the, going home to Indiana or going back to Boston or maybe the Knicks also were in the mix as well. I think too. I believe so. Yeah. And in the back of my head, I was like, okay, cool. Bullet dodge, you know, Hornets will just stay low. The Batum contract is coming off the book. Like we don't have to worry about it. The cap anymore. And then all of a sudden, I see $120 million to go and Hayward <laughs> confirmed from Woj. I'm like, oh, no. no. Why? <laughs> I, I, that's, that was my genuine reaction. I texted somebody. I said some things I probably shouldn't have said. And uh, <laughs> then I thought about it some more and looked at his numbers. And I know he had some bad luck with injuries, but none of them were like really recurring. They're freak accidents, freak right. injuries. Right. They were freak injuries. Yeah, exactly. And he has, we've seen what he can do in college and in Utah. And you look at his situation in Boston, where he was like the fourth option, mm -hmm. you know, coming here where uh, he's really appreciated by a franchise, hence the $120 million. They really believe in Gordon and he's giving back with it. He's leading the team in scoring right now. He's been a rock, like defensively, offensively. Um, I can only assume that the younger players on the team are learning from him because he's a He's 30 years old. He's the oldest guy on the team at 30, you know? So he's the vet in the locker room. And that's sorely needed when you have this young of a team. So I love Gordon Hayward. I'm so happy he's part of the franchise. And I don't think the Hornets would be where they are currently without him. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And uh, really, I think... I think what it is is that a lot of like people that are like casual NBA fans, they don't realize where the salary 
are or the salary is in the NBA right now in terms of average salary and for a player of Gordon Hayward's uh, stature, because I do remember maybe a week later, you know, there was a flurry of players that were getting signed mm-hmm. or, or re-upping for much, much larger amounts than Gordon Hayward. And every time I would just kind of look at it and go, see, <laughs> this is why yeah. Gordon Harry got $120 million. Uh, whereas, you know, I think a lot of people thought Hornets overbid for him. Come to find out that they were right in line with what other places were bidding as well, for the most part. So, and it has worked out because he's putting up all-star numbers in the East, I would say, uh, this year yeah. to, to warrant consideration. And that's what you want when you're paying a guy $30 million a year. Uh, over four years. Got Sam Dracula on the line with me here on the rundown, talking a little Charlotte Hornets here. The Hornets are one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA currently. Do you see the Hornets making any deals to trade for a big man, somebody like Andre Drummond or someone along those lines? Yeah, so that that goes back to the Devontae or Terry kind of like mm-hmm. that's the biggest chip and kind of depends on how how far the Hornets want to go in. Because I believe it was Cupcheck like talking about the Hayward signing. Like you don't sign Gordon Hayward. For that money and not intend to make the playoffs right and that is the goal right now as crazy as that may, as that may seem seem for the hornets they're in seventh place right now two games under 500 you know they if if let's say the, the trade deadline's march 25th i believe so three weeks from now hornets are looking like okay this is our year let's go for it that could be an opportunity then to bring in a proper big uh, drummond is a guy that's going to be a free agent at the end of the season I don't know if uh, he's, so he's not top of my list for that reason for a rental. Like I wouldn't want to give up too much assets. It just really depends on what the Cavs want for him because they have Jared Allen, they have Javale McGee. Yeah, um, I would love Miles. I would love Miles Turner from Indiana. Uh, he's my number one option. I know they're shopping him in the offseason. I don't know if they move him now, but the Hornets need help in the in in the five spots specifically. Cody Zeller does the job. Bismack did the job pretty well all things considered with Zeller out, but that is a position that needs to be upgraded. If the Hornets, I think the Hornets can make the playoffs as is, but if they don't want to get embarrassed in the first round against the Nets, the Sixers, um, the, um, the Bucks, they're going to need some firepower in the front court. So I would love for them to make a move for a guy like to go all in for lack of a better word, without giving up too many first round draft picks. Got to hold on to those. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Brian Snow, our uh, morning host on Snowman in the Morning, he actually had uh, Greensboro Swarm head coach Jay Hernandez on earlier this morning uh, down at the bubble um, in the G League down in Orlando. And uh, one of the topics of conversation were the big men that the, yeah. the Hornets drafted that, to me, they lucked into in the second round of the draft to, to be able to draft Vernon Carey and Nick Richards, uh, two 6'11 guys, young guys at that, uh, both respectively players of the year in their conferences in the second round was a huge get. The problem though, like you uh, echoed on they're they're both 19 or uh, yeah. Richards might be 20. Um, so they're super young, so they can't really help right now. And I do remember Borrego kind of saying earlier in the year that they just simply weren't ready to like to contribute in the rotation. That's why they hadn't been playing, uh, which is why the G league is so important. I would imagine Carey and Richards are in the plans down the road, but that's not going to help them get to the playoffs this year. So mm-hmm. I'm not sh- I'm not sure what they're going to do because I'm not sure if they'd want to mortgage uh, the future like that. It, maybe they'll maybe they'll be ha- content getting a six seed, seven seed, eight seed, uh, or just barely missing the playoffs so that they go back into the lottery. Although no team will ever admit that they're you know they're happy with that happening. Um, right. I, I I did want to bring this up to you because I started thinking about this really. Uh, about a day or two ago, I was listening to uh, our buddy Sam Farber's uh, broadcast of the Hornets game, uh, Memphis, um, from Wednesday night. And the the buzz in the air around the Hornets, it reminds me, and I'm probably older than you. I didn't bother to ask how old you were, but I'm 43. So I grew up, when the Hornets first started here, they were on across the entire state on over-the-air television channels. They had the Hornets you know, television network. So you could watch all 82 games of the Hornets back in the day, and it made it easier to follow them. And the buzz in the air around the Hornets right now reminds me of the 1991-92 season, where it was Larry Johnson's rookie year. They had just drafted him number one overall. They, they, they were competitive. They were fun to watch. They won 31 games, which was an improvement over the prior year where they had only won like 23. 
And they had a rookie that took the NBA by storm in LJ. Uh, that 91-92 team was similar to this one. It was built with young talent the Hornets drafted, like Rex Chapman, Kendall Gill. Uh, J.R. Reed was only two or three years out of school. And, of course, uh, your believed co-host, Muggsy Bogues. Now, that team was a player away from being a threat in the NBA Eastern Conference. And they got that player the next year in the draft in Alonzo Mourning. Sam, looking at the makeup of this current roster... What do you think the Hornets need to address to take that next step into an Eastern Conference playoff contender? Like, if you had a wish list of, you know, if we could do one thing to push this roster over the top, what would that be? Would it be getting another high draft pick? Would it be securing another high free agent? Uh, Or just giving the young guys more playing time? Like, what do you think is the thing they need to do to address uh, going forward? Because I do think they're only a a piece or two away from being a contender. This is going to sound crazy, but Carl Anthony Towns. (laughs) I would call it Minnesota. I I am pulling up to the bar and I'm going to listen to this one. I want to hear what this is about. Go carry on. (laughs) I'm calling up Minnesota and I'm saying, Hey, we have the contracts to make it work going the other way. Hmm. Like you get, you get the Anthony Davis package as far as uh, draft picks go. Right. This team with uh, Anthony Davis on it, Sorry, Anthony Davis. Well, Anthony Davis will be fire. Crawling through the towns on it um, would be my is the dream scenario. I think Ooh. Towns needs a change of scenery. Um, the Minnesota franchise has a spotty history with taking care of the superstars, like as far as you know, winning games and playing meaningful games. Um, not that the Hornets can't say the same thing, but I want Carl Anthony Towns on the team and I would see Ooh. what it would take to get him. And I yeah, would I'm, consider I'm unprotected picks to do it. Cause man, yeah, what do you, what do you think it would take? Like how much of a haul do you think Minnesota could get for something like that? Well, cause so, I mean, cause towns is what, would you say he's a top 20 player? Yeah, he can be. Yeah. His, his like, uh, his a game offensively, uh, in the, in the paint on the perimeter, it's there, it's polished. Maybe you can point fingers at his defensive game a little bit, but I think he's, he's extraordinarily well-rounded, still very young. He's under contract for a while. It's a big number, but you can, you could, you know, get another team in there or whatever. You can make the contracts work to, to get that done. But I, well, Anthony Davis required four unprotected first round picks and a bunch of players. Uh, I think uh, the Paul George trade required a ton of first round picks yeah, I think it was uh, to four, get that yeah. done. Yeah, uh, James Harden. I think it was like eight. I think between oh gosh. first round picks and pick swaps. <laughs> yeah, and you know, if you're saying that one player, that's a that's a that's a put it all on the table move that the Hornets. Ooh. That you I, know, I, 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 just to even, consider. You know, you said you said perfect. I, 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 I never even thought about it, but when you lay it out, I'm kind of like okay, because the first thing I did when you said it, I picked up my phone. And I was like, how old is Carl Anthony Towns? He's 25. He was yeah. born in 1995. So I mean. Well, yeah, so hypothetically, you get like him at his prime still. Um, uh-huh. You have Lamelo, mm-hmm. and you have whatever young pieces are left, and you that's your. Well, you probably have Hayward still at that point. Maybe Terry. I don't know how what you have to do. Con- I'd, Terry I'd love will probably to keep have to Miles. go to the deal. I'd love yeah. to keep Miles with that too. Maybe maybe something that, like uh, PJ Washington. You know, uh, a couple of that's firsts. A, that, that's a that's a consistent team. Like if you could yeah. keep Lamelo uh, and keep one of the youngsters, and you have uh, uh, Towns. You fill the rest of our roster up with um, draft picks, like current draft picks, mm-hmm. and um, and um, veterans. That's a that's a lock playoff team. So those first round draft picks are lower in the in the in the draft. I'm right. just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's yeah, me talking that. myself into it. Uh, <laughs> I think you're talking me into it. <laughs> I didn't yeah, even really? think about that. I was like, oh man, that actually would work. I think that would. Now the like, key here is, it, you know? yeah, the in. key here is how much is Minnesota attached to Carl Anthony Towns because they're literally just kind of. Yeah. Spinning their wheels, constantly getting <clears throat> high draft picks. Some pan out, some do, some don't. They end up trading. I mean, most of their guys, they end up trading them off anyway because they, yeah. they they don't pan like like Andrew Wiggins, for example. So um, that's that's interesting. I like how you ended the the segment on a, a super hot take. That might be the hottest take <laughs> that's going to be on the show today. Wait, they're, they're, they're last in the West. Like, come on, come on, Towns. Yeah, He's back hey now, man, you, know? you got me convinced. Like, come I, on, let's let's start. I'll a, pick him up. I'll pick him up the airport myself. <laughs> Let's start a petition. Let's get this. Let's get this rumor out there. Uh, you heard it yeah. here first. Carl Anthony Towns to Charlotte. What? What? Where did that come from? Um, Sam, man, I, I really appreciate having you on. I got to get you back on here soon, uh, especially now that the Hornets are actually uh, fun to talk about. 
Uh, we can actually spend segments talking about the Hornets winning games and being exciting as opposed to what they need to do to tear down a roster and make it exciting going forward in the future. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Make sure you follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Dracula. Make sure you go and follow the Believe in Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, um, where, of course, I'm, I host the Believe in Panthers podcast with Tyrone Poole. And we're on hiatus right now due to the offseason. So definitely go and check out the Believe in Hornets podcast with Sam and Muggsy Bugs. Sam, it's been great, man. And I'm going to uh, I'm going I'm to put that uh, I'm going to make that thought. I'm going to try to make it more of a concrete reality and just throw it out there rumor wise somehow and see what we can do to get uh, Kat to uh, Charlotte. Yes. Speak it into existence. I'm here yeah, for speak it. it into existence. That's absolutely right. Uh, man, I appreciate you, bro. Hey, anytime. My pleasure. Coming up, we got uh, more of a Charlotte flavor here. Uh, John Ellis coming up a little bit later on to talk some Panther talk in their offseason. But coming up next, R.L. Bynum will join us to talk Carolina hoops. Can Carolina go up to Virginia and get a much-needed win against the Wahoos this Saturday? All that and more. You're listening to The Rundown. The specials never stop at Blue Naples Pizza, an Italian restaurant. Every day, you get a large two-topping pizza for only $11.99. On Sunday, watch football and enjoy our large one-topping pizza and 10 wings for only $17.99. Plus lunch specials every day of the week. Blue Naples Pizza and Italian Restaurant, 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back to The Rundown. Got to give a special shout-out to Sam Dracula, who you just heard, uh, host of the Believe in Hornets podcast. Uh, you can catch his interview and uh, the best of The Rundown on The Rundown podcast that will be available on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio podcast network, Spotify, Anchor, Google, <coughs> Apple, and much, much more, um, where you can catch episodes of The Rundown going back months back in the past, in case you missed any of the uh, the interviews that we've had. Uh, right now on the Rundown Hotline, he is a UNC beat writer for the Tar Hill Tribune. Please welcome R.L. Bynum to the Rundown. What's going on, man? How you doing? Not much, Desmond. Thanks for having me on. So what a week for me to pick for you to come on the Rundown. Uh, after defeating arch-rival Duke on the road to snap a three-game losing streak to the Blue Devils, the Tar Heels got in trouble. Armando Baycott, Dayron Sharp, and apparently some others from the team attended a party and were filmed without masks on. The domino effect postponed UNC's scheduled game against Miami on Monday. What's the latest on punishment, if any, that head coach Roy Williams and the school may hand out to those players for violating the protocol? There's been nothing official out there, uh, but I'm guessing that some of those players might think they're on the track team instead of the basketball team they're going to be doing uh, here, here this week. But yeah, they've not announced anything officially, but I'm sure they're, they've dealt with it internally. They issued the apology and, and I guess they, they could have still technically under the ACC protocols played the game on Monday night. But once Miami heard about the, uh, the video, they didn't feel comfortable and they didn't play, but I mean, uh, before the postponement, uh, Roy Williams was talking about addressing the situation after the game, so he's fully expecting to play. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm confident that the Virginia g- uh, game on Saturday will be played. And uh, it, I guess you just got to live and learn and the perils of camera foods being everywhere. It's, it's crazy how many people know Roy Williams because every time someone is asked about the punishment question, uh, typically they resort to the Roy's going to make them run. <laughs> like everyone just kind of knows. Like, yeah, they're probably running right now. They're running in their sleep. They're running, eating lunch. They're running, just, just running. And it sounds like it wasn't at first it broke out that it was Armando and Dayron there because they happened to get caught on camera, which is usually what ends up happening. But in effect, as more stuff started trickling out, as we got out of the first of the week, turns out it was like a team party that uh, others ended up coming into. So it kind right. of affected it the bubble, I guess. It would have been a problem if they the, limited it to the uh, members of the team because mm-hmm. they're they're all uh, tested and everything. But they let in a few friends and, you know, they're college students. Right. Uh, you can't. It, it, it wasn't a smart decision, but uh, you, you got to think about how they've been cooped up and only seeing their teammates for the most part for months. So it's, it's, it's gotta be hard, but you still have to make better decisions. And if it wasn't for the camera phone, we wouldn't know anything about it. 
That's true. That is very true. And I was selling that to a, a buddy the other day they, when they when they announced it about two hours before tip off. And he was mad. He was like, you know, they should just roll the ball out there and play. And I'm like, you know, dude, these aren't pros. They don't get paid to do this for starters. They're student athletes. And, you know, the, the schools would be liable if they if they did this, knowing there was a potential for you know kids to get sick or whatnot. And they played it anyway. That's a mark on the program. Like they, it's better to just go ahead and skip it. Now I didn't realize that you know due to Miami's record and us getting towards the end of the season that they're not going to make this game back up. Um, and it looks like that might affect the Tar Heels a little bit because this probably would have been a win in the win column, and the Heels can take every win they can get right now. Uh, this pause in action comes at a bad time for the Tar Heels, who were one of the few teams in college basketball this season that had not had to pause themselves due to the COVID cases or contact tracing. Tar Heels head to Charlottesville to play ACC leader Virginia at 6 p.m. on Saturday. Now, as we sit here at the end of this week, have any UNC players tested positive for COVID? Uh, will the Hills travel at full strength to take on a Cavaliers team that has beaten Carolina six straight times? Well, we haven't heard of anything. I mean, we wouldn't really know anything until, uh, I guess, game day, assuming they're going to play. So hopefully no, no players tested positive. Uh, but I do know one thing, no, nobody on that roster has ever beaten Virginia, doesn't right. know how to beat Virginia, and uh, they've lost the last six uh, up at John Paul Jones Arena. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's even when Carolina won the national championship, they, they lost at Virginia. So it's always going to be a tough matchup, and uh, the, the, the big thing for Carolina is to avoid the turnovers that, that have hurt them a lot, because in a low-possession game, those those are going to hurt you even more. So it, that, that's going to be a, a challenge. And, and uh, Caleb Love is, a, if he, Caleb Love is a distributor as he was against Duke and manages the half court offense, makes good decisions in the transition, they, they should be able to give Virginia a game, but, but that, that's going to be a tough, um, tough uh, team for Carolina to beat for sure. Follow uh, RL on Twitter at RL underscore Bynum, uh, beat writer for the Tar Heel uh, Tribune. Caleb Love, speaking of Caleb Love, he finally had a breakout game this season. It felt like all the Tar Heel fans have been kind of waiting on, and it came at the right time versus arch rival Duke this past Saturday. Love is the first UNC guard ever to score 25 points, or actually I should say the first UNC player ever to score 25 points and have seven assists inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. So talk about making your mark. What have you seen, RL, from Love to make you think he has turned the corner these past few weeks? And is he the key to future success for the Tar Heels in this COVID-19 2021 season? He, he's just matured. He's just making better decisions. Uh, obviously, the, the three three-pointers haven't been falling for him until recently. That's a big asset for him. And then, then having Kerwin Walton over there being able to make uh, perimeter shots. Uh, that combination is really opening it up for, for the big men, uh, particularly Armando Baycott. And uh, that that is giving uh, Love better chances to do post-entry passes and and uh, give his teammates better shots. And uh, he's coming around defensively, too. That was not always a, a strong point for him. So uh, just overall, he's doing doing better. There were you know a couple of times we didn't get back on defense late in the game, and uh, Roy Williams was more than happy to point that out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the main thing the main thing he needs to, other than that, is, is to cut down on the turnovers. If he does that, uh, there's there's no telling what this team could do and what kind of damage this team could could make in March. But then again, you look at the Clemson game and you wonder what happened. So it's sometimes you just kid these kids with, who are freshmen who don't have a lot of experience. You just never know what you're going to get on any, any given night. And the kind of schedule that Carolina has coming up, they really don't have room for uh, poor games. I mean, maybe Boston College is going to be easy game, but there they aren't easy games left on the schedule. So they, they really don't have a lot of margin for error. And, you know, they're looking pretty good. Their NCAA resume is looking pretty good, but I don't think they're a lock yet. They still have more work to do. And uh, you know, if they do get wins over some of these teams coming up, that'll help their resume and that'll solidify their situation. Yeah. As of right now, ESPN's Joe Lenardi has the Tar Heels on the last four buys bubble in terms of getting into the tourney. 
um, Ken Powell actually ranks UNC the 323rd most experienced team in the country out of 342 teams. Seven out of Carolina's 11 rotational players are freshmen. RL, is this the youngest UNC team you have covered? And what's the biggest difference watching Carolina now compared to back in late November, early December when the season got started? My eyes don't hurt as much after the games, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) Some of those those games in December were just just ugly, just ugly. And and you have to think a lot of factors went into this, which other teams had as well. But they they didn't have the the uh, time in the summer as much to to uh, to, to play uh, pick up games and everything. They didn't have any exhibition games. They didn't have many non conference games. So that put them back. I mean, the number of games they had by by mid January, they probably would have had by late December on most seasons. So it just took them a while to get it together. And yeah, it was ugly. They 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 were they were sloppy. They didn't shoot well. The big men weren't playing consistently. And then early on, you didn't have Cur- the emergence of Kerwin Walton. I mean, having having that perimeter shooter is something they didn't have last season, uh, which would have been big for them last season. And ha- having him, that, that's made a huge difference in opening things up inside and giving Caleb Love more options. And and I do think that. The, the chemistry has been better with uh, R.J. Davis coming off the bench and, and spelling love at point guard than it was when the, when Davis and Love were playing together. Right. The chemistry is much better with Walton and Love or Davis and Love. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. It does seem that once Roy kind of tinkered with the offensive rotation a little bit, uh, they kind of settled down. And, and winning's contagious. You know, a couple of those – uh, games a couple of weeks back, you know, Leakey's put back. Was that Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken? And then Playtech won on a, a last-second shot, you know, right around that same time. And you kind of start building some confidence. Those are the same exact games that Carolina lost last year. And it felt like Carolina, I can't remember the exact number, it was five or six games where they lost on, like, the final possession. It was just like a dagger, like, every single time it would happen over and over again. Um, and I'm kind of looking at last year's 14 and 19 Carolina team and and this year's Duke team and I'm seeing a lot of like Duke fans try to compare the two that like you know it's the same thing but it's really not because that Duke team is fairly healthy are they not while that Carolina team last year was hampered with injuries the entire season and never really got a a clear rotation uh, for the entire year. Meanwhile, this Duke team's been relatively healthy all year, and they're struggling. What What have you thought about Duke's struggles, and uh, what What would you say is the number one reason for it? Because we're in February. I, I really don't want to count youth as an excuse anymore. Everybody's dealing with that aspect. But what have you seen when you see Duke play that something just seems off every time I watch them? Um, what are your thoughts? Well, as bad as they are, I would have to say that Carolina was much worse last season. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, people who compare those two teams, I don't think it's a fair comparison because because of the reasons that you lined up. But uh, it it really is as as uh, Shashevsky has said. It's this is one of the more frustrating uh, teams that he's he's had. Uh, you know, you just can't keep on bringing in a bunch of freshmen and have them uh, gel just like that. It, it, that's hard to do, and and some some. Uh, Combinations just don't work out, and I think that's what's happening there. They don't. Sometimes they have one or two guys who really take control, and then other times they disappear. It's it's, and 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 Shashevsky often has lots of starting lineups, but it's been more pronounced this year. I don't know how many starting lineups he's had. Yeah, he's ran through. A it's few, almost yeah. like he pulls them out of a hat. Yeah, just find a different combination because nothing seems to work. And and obviously they're not going to the tournament unless they win the ACC tournament, so it's 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 really hard to figure. I mean, uh, it's, it's been- strange. It's really strange. <laughs> like the past, really, this whole season has just felt kind of. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. It's just like weird. Like the whole season has been, uh, you know, the blue blood struggling. Uh, you know, we've all heard Kentucky, Kansas fall out of the top 25. You know, Duke has on a three-game losing streak right now. It, it just feels kind of funny with those with those uh, typical usual suspects not at the top of the uh, the polls. But I was talking about this with a friend. Uh, 
it's a conversation people don't like having, but it's a conversation we really need to start having more and more here going forward. Coach K is 73. He's going to turn 74 at the end of this, uh, this month. Roy is 70. Uh, I went back and looked at some of the legends uh, in coaching to see how far they actually got coaching-wise in age. Uh, Adolph Rupp made it to 70 with Kentucky and was forced to resign by the state due to his age. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Dean Smith was 66 when he, uh, when he retired. Um, who would you put a bet on would retire first between the two Roy Williams or coach K. Cause when I see them in post game press conferences this year in particular, they seem more tired and beat down than normal after a loss, especially K. It just feels like it's wearing on him a bit. No one would blink an eye. If he announced he was going to retire at age 74 at the end of the year, same with Roy and 70, both have had some health issues and have had, you know, 30 plus career uh, year careers. Uh, K having 40 plus under his belt. Who would you, put money on would retire first k or roy just because he's a little bit older i would probably say shashevsky yeah. but uh you know, you're the, the observations you made about shashevsky uh after laws we could easily make those observations about uh, roy <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean some of uh, he he just uh looked very frustrated uh, uh justifiably so yeah i mean uh but, well, some of the stuff's just not fixable, I think, this season. Some of the things that they're, especially on the Duke side, there's just some things they can't fix. They don't have a post game really, and that's not going to change in February. With Carolina, when I watch them, it's almost like some of the things they're doing, are it, it is fixable, but I don't know if they want to fix it. Like, there's plenty of times. How many times have you watched a Carolina player just simply throw a ball out of bounds? <laughs> you know, there's no yeah. one there. <laughs> he just tosses it out of bounds he expects someone to be there they're not and it just goes out of bounds and you're just like what are you doing like why would you throw that ball it happens like twice a game it feels like and it's been all year long uh they have they have controlled the turnovers a little bit better uh having it with like you said with love starting davis spelling him and uh and kerwin walton coming into the lineup kind of added a little stability too um having said that with them going up to charlottesville uh this saturday they, this starts a crucial stretch for Carolina. They've got to play Virginia and Virginia Tech. Louisville's in there. they got to see Duke again. Um, 68 points are the most the, the Cavaliers have allowed in conference play so far this season, uh, and that was to Notre Dame. UNC is 311-39 and 39 under Roy Williams whenever they score at least 80 points. RL, do you think the Tar Heels this year have the firepower to get over 80 on Saturday versus Virginia's vaunted pack line defense on the road? I do not. <laughs> I, do not. I think the only way that that happens is, is if Carolina dominates the defensive boards and, and is able to get out on, on the break. I, I mean, it just – if Carolina has to generate offense against that pack line defense, it's they can do it, but it's going to be hard, and it's going to be a, a low-possession game. Uh, and – you know, Virginia has scored a lot of points in certain games, but uh, you know, Tony Tony Bennett's a smart guy. He knows that he doesn't need to be running with Carolina, so I'm sure he's going to try to keep it as a low possession game. So yeah, I don't I don't see that happening there. I mean, I think what when Carolina won the national championship, uh, they went up to Charlottesville. I think they got in the 40s or something like that. Oh, 2017. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was like a rock fight. Literally. It just, every time, every time they see Virginia, it's like that where it just feels like Virginia just slows it down so much. It just frustrates teams out of what they want to do. Um, but Carolina can offensive rebound. So maybe that'll offset some of the things that, uh, will be that Virginia is going to try to take away from them. You feel comfortable picking a winner on Saturday? <laughs> oh, if I'd had bet, I would, I would take Virginia by five, probably. Yeah, but uh, you know, if if things go, if if the, the team that showed up in clips and it's going to be a lot worse, if the team oh that gosh. showed up, in Europe, <laughs> yeah, if, if they can if they can make uh, double digit three pointers at Virginia, uh, and play play smart on offense, and like you said, don't make those passes to no one in particular, uh, they they could they could beat Virginia, and and that that. One win would probably solidify Carolina's uh, NCAA resume and and uh, give them a better seating. But uh, I've just seen too many terrific Carolina teams just go to Charlottesville and just play play terrible. 
it would be a signature win for this season. It'd be the biggest win to date for uh, Roy Williams Tar Heels this season if they can pull it off on the road here. Follow RL on Twitter at RL underscore Bynum and follow his work at the Tar Heel Tribune. RL, always appreciate having you on, man. And uh, just keep up the great work and following the Tar Heels around. All right. Appreciate it, Desmond. Take care. Coming up, we've got the Roars host, John Ellis, coming on to talk to us a little bit about Carolina Panthers offseason and what a busy offseason it has become next on The Rundown. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to The Rundown, a jam-packed edition of The Rundown here on the Friday Rush on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Make sure you stick around after The Rundown, 6 p.m., the pit stop with James Wilson. Um, they are doing a gigantic De- uh, Daytona 500 preview, the Daytona 500, this uh, Sunday, Valentine's Day, February the 14th. So definitely stick around and check that out. Right now on the line with us here on The Rundown, he is the host of The Roar, a Carolina Panthers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Been an admirer from afar for a while uh, with the work that he does with film analysis and study on Twitter. Please welcome John Ellis to The Rundown. First time uh, visit for John Ellis here on The Rundown. What's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, Desmond, how you doing, man? This is a pleasure. Love your work. And uh, you know, I've been chatting for a while on Twitter trying to set this up, buddy. So I'm glad we we got it done. Thanks for reaching out. And uh, man, there's a lot to talk about for sure. No doubt. Absolutely. And uh, I do enjoy uh, working with like-minded villains like yourself. So we can get into it here. (laughs) (laughs) First, so starting off some uh, news to report on Wednesday, the Panthers named uh, Rock Hill native Stephen Drummond, the new senior advisor to the chairman and vice president of external football operations uh, for the franchise. He will become one of the highest ranking black men among NFL team front offices. Drummond actually started with the Panthers as a PR intern in 1999. Talk to me a little bit about how in just a few short years, Panthers owner David Tepper has actually changed the culture of the Panthers franchise from what you've seen covering the team. Well, no, I think that's that. First of all, I think that's a great thing for Steve, and I've I've known him a little bit here and there over the years. I got to know Steve pretty well in 2011. That was my first uh, time covering camp and the Panthers in terms of their preseason stuff. And he used to work for a gentleman named Charlie Dayton, who was the longtime PR director for Carolina. Great guy, and and Stephen was his right hand man. And uh, you know, then Ryan Anderson learned under Steve, and now they've got a whole other group of PR people working under this. It's a great operation, and, and Steve is one of the class acts in the league, and I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, a great opportunity for him to advance. But, no, I think David Tepper, Desmond, has done great things here in terms of, you know, getting away from some of what th- – that bad taste in the mouth we all had when Jerry Richardson had to or pretty much decided to sell the team. He was going to be forced to, I think, at, at some point given some of the things that came out about him that were really unsavory and, and really unfortunate, honestly, in terms of uh, some of the accusations. And, uh, you know, I, I think what Dave has done here is he's come in for the first few years. He's talked about reshaping the business side of the or- or organization operation um, from folks I talked to in the know. He's done quite a good job of that, uh, as well as the soccer side, too, which has taken up some of his time. It's it's an all-encompassing Tepper Sports Entertainment, as you know. So yeah. he's had a lot on his plate. It's it's not easy being an owner in the NFL. These first-time owners, Desmond, as you know, whether it's the Browns, whether it's the Bills, they kind of struggle out of the gate. So I, I think Tep did a pretty good job taking a couple of years, getting his side of things in order. And now with Scott Fitterer as the general manager, Matt Rule's the coach, he now has an opportunity to maybe keep his eye on the football side, and that'll be interesting. But, yeah, in terms of being progressive, I mean, they were the only team out there, to my knowledge, that gave Eric Reed an opportunity to come back and play. Uh, mm-hmm. They've done some good progressive things in terms of their front office, and now you see uh, Steve Drummond. I don't view him as a minority, but I, I know that's important to account for that. Steve's just a great guy in the business that deserves an opportunity, and kudos to him for that. Follow John on Twitter at One Panther Place. Um 
Let's talk quarterback because there's a lot of quarterback talk circling around the Carolina Panthers, uh, more than we're accustomed to here in the Carolinas <laughs> uh, in the offseason. Yep. Uh, starting off, uh, it appears by reading the tea leaves and actual comments from head coach Matt Rule and owner David Tepper that quarterback Teddy Bridgewater will not be in the long-term plans for the Panthers going forward. Let's look at the options here. First, John, what are your thoughts on the Panthers being connected to disgruntled Texas uh, Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson? Are there any players on this Panthers roster that you deem untradeable? Well, yeah, I do. There, there's a few there that, that from my perspective, I, I wouldn't be interested in dealing if I'm the Panthers or a Panthers fan for that matter. Brian Burns would come to mind. I, I would not want to part ways with Brian because he's coming along as one of the premier edge rushers in the league. They invested a high draft pick in Brian. And Burns has been remarkable in terms of his ability to get around the edge quickly. I would leave him alone. Jeremy Chin's another one. High, uh, highest draft pick, not first round, but he's shown great upside in his first season and great production. Derek Brown's a guy. He's a Matt Rule draft pick. I don't see him going anywhere. DJ Moore would be another one. So those are some of the core guys. I would say not so much. Now, here's the thing with Christian McCaffrey, though. McCaffrey's a running back. We all know the narrative out there about running backs not, not only wearing down a little bit and possibly getting injured and not being worth the full value they're paid. In the case of McCaffrey, I don't want to pigeonhole him in that you know particular bucket because, honestly, injuries happen. I think he's going to come back just fine. But he does present an intriguing option for Carolina in terms of a potential, again, just potential, trade uh, nugget. So, I mean, if, if, from my perspective – if, and I said this on our podcast the other night, if, if Carolina is going to be in the mix for Deshaun Watson, if indeed Watson is offered up, which we don't know if that's going to be the case or not, doesn't seem like he's going to be back. I think that's what yeah. he's pretty he's pretty unhappy with Cal McNair. I think they're, they're going to reach some sort of agreement at some point that they have to part ways, but we'll see. But if Carolina wants to be in that mix, if that day comes, the number eight pick is not as enticing as, say, the number three or two pick. So they're going to have to pony up extra picks and possibly a starting caliber player. McCaffrey, I think, would be one of those guys to keep an eye on, as well as Bridgewater. But there's no reporting that would substantiate that to this point. In fact, McCaffrey, I believe, is very much in their plans right now. It's a fluid situation, Desmond. It's only February 11th, as we've talked about earlier. <laughs> there's 30, I've never seen this early in February, Des this much quarterback drama around the league and some of it's warranted russell wilson apparently isn't happy neither is the mm. team reportedly at him yeah the whole thing with watson you've got Derek carr's name floated out there stafford's already been uh, in a principal traded as much it's not official yet but the league year starts soon so yeah it's been a dynamic offseason so far i i just don't think carolina's gonna rest until they find a solution at quarterback that's better than bridgewater and I, I do feel a little bit bad for Teddy because, you know, it's a bad spot to be in. But I've also made this point. He, he signed a lucrative contract for what his production has been lately, uh, $33 million guaranteed. So he's got $33 million reasons not to be too disappointed about his plight right now. He was given an opportunity last season to rejuvenate his career. And Matt Rule said it at the end of the season, Desmond, he needs to get better. The mm -hmm. team needs better production down the stretch at the quarterback position. I wasn't a fan of the signing. I, I like Teddy on a personal level. I, I don't mind Newton parting ways. That that obviously, I think Cam has, has is some some things he needs to work on with his arm. I, I don't know where his shoulder is, but it didn't look quite right this year. The legs look fine, but Cam's gone. At that point, Bridgewater being the, the option to $33 million guaranteed, to me, I think they could have done better. I would have gone Jameis Winston, possibly, for a one-year mm. deal and tried him out. But they made their bet. Now they lie in it. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, it seems like the main reason why they brought Teddy in was because he was familiar with uh, the offense that uh, offensive coordinator Joe Brady was installing. And it right. felt like the excuse that they were using for letting Cam go, they didn't really actually say it word for word, but it sounded more along the lines of, well, Cam would have to learn this offense and we're not, we want someone that can hit the ground running. Teddy fit that bill. He knows Joe right. Brady. Joe Brady knows him. They're comfortable with each other. But clearly there were cracks in that foundation by the time we got to the, the fourth quarter of the season where, you know, head coach Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater 
are kind of throwing veiled shots at each other through the media in terms of uh, how certain games were lost. I remember there was the one where Teddy was claiming that the play came in late. Uh, never mind the fact that he missed a wide open DJ Moore in the back of the end zone, which ended that oh, game. Yeah, he, it, for me, Teddy, it was like I came in with an open mind with him. And then I think what happened, the entire Panthers fr- uh, fan base, we were blinded by the completion percentage. Like, we've never had a quarterback <laughs> in Carolina in 25-plus years, other than Steve Berline, I think right. was the closest to it, where, where they're throwing over 60%. Like, even, I mean, I know people ragged on Cam Newton, but Jake, Jake DeLone was the same way for eight years. He was like a oh, 59% yeah. completion yeah. guy, but he just had Steve Smith jumping 15 feet, feet in the air, making him look better <laughs> when he was throwing him down the field. It always helps, right? <laughs> yeah, that always helps to have 89 out there doing it. So I think in the beginning of the year, we were kind of excusing it. Then we were winning. So we were kind of excusing it a little bit, even though Teddy was great at moving the chains and getting us up and down the field. We just couldn't get in the end zone. And then, of course, not having your number one weapon in Christian McCaffrey affects that. But there was a lot of things that Teddy could have did differently that he did not. And it, it kind of showed the ceiling a little bit, don't you think? I, I do. And, I, you know, Desmond, a lot of my analysis is just based on the tape. Obviously, we we grind that tape as, as much as anybody out there, I'd like to think. And I know we mm-hmm. don't have all the answers. Uh, the tape is usually not very subjective. It usually tells a pretty good story. If you know what you're looking at for Bridgewater, when we looked at the tape all the way back to his Minnesota days, I mean, I, I looked at almost all of his games. And, you know, the one common thread here was intermediate passing, rhythm and timing, reluctancy to throw the deep ball. And when he did, Okay, in the 20-yard zone, in terms of velocity, was pretty good. We saw that this year. Some of the over routes over the middle were good. But in terms of the vertical nine routes and the seven routes, not the most accurate and, and not the most decisive. And we saw that down the stretch this year in some key situations. Now, to be really fair to Teddy here, he did get hurt. That's a problem. Uh, Matt Rule made a point also, and I thought this was an interesting comment by Matt, that we need Teddy to stay healthy. I appreciate that, Candor. Because with all the talk about Cam Newton last year, I think part of their calculus with that also, look, Cam was in the last year of a contract. Reportedly, he wanted to stay here on that last year. There have been other people who have speculated and reported that he would probably want an extension to have stayed. It was a complicated situation. He was in the middle of a rehab. COVID popped up. The market was sort of dried out for him. So I I do understand Cam's grievances, but I also understand the team in in a weird kind of transitional position here with a quarterback who had been unhealthy for a couple of years, I just didn't think Bridgewater from the tape did it for me. It, it seemed like a Band-Aid, but a, a, a not not a one-year Band-Aid. They locked him into three years there, Desmond. Yeah. And now this is where they are. I, 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 If I'm a Panthers fan, this is the frustration that has come from the fan base this season. Not that Teddy is bad. Not that Teddy stinks. It's that the team didn't need to give him three years or two years. Offer him one year, give him an opportunity to rejuvenate. Hey, New England or, or another team, Tampa, or whoever might have been in the mix at that point, steps in and give him more than – yeah, great. Sa- that, that saves you from yourself at that point. Much like the Lions and the Rams with Matt Stafford, the Rams had to sort of step in and save Carolina, in my view, from making what would have been a, an, an overshoot in terms of compensation for Matt Stafford. Sometimes you need other teams in the mix to save you from making – not great decisions. I don't think Bridgewater signing the contract. They talked about it being flexible in year three. That's great, but we're in year two now. And the team already, look, the landscape has changed, Desmond. I'll leave it at this with this question. You know, a year ago, nobody saw Russell Wilson potentially looking for an out, which he sounds like he, he doesn't want to be there anymore. Yes, he does. Sean <laughs> Watson clearly wants to be gone. Uh, he's got Carolina connections with Clemson, but obviously he favors, it sounds like, the, the Jets being in New York with his agent and some of his other friends up there. And then Miami geograph- geographically sounds appealing to him from what I've heard. But then they have two that they just drafted, so that's interesting. And, and those marking conditions weren't here last year. So now Tepper, I'm sure, and Scott Fitter is a big part of this as well and a very aggressive uh, personnel guy, now the GM looking around and saying, you know what, we lost uh, how many games by, what, uh, five, six, seven points last year? Mm-hmm. What was the downfall? And they're starting thinking from their perspective, hey, if we just had a more productive, dynamic quarterback, we might have been a nine-win team, and that's very possible. But you got to make sure you do it right here. Watson's the only guy I'd be giving up multiple first-round picks for right now of all these guys. Even even Wilson, 
I wouldn't give up that many. Maybe two first for Wilson. I wouldn't go beyond that. I would give up a lot for Deshaun Watson. He's that transcendent. And he's young. He's still 25. Yeah, uh, you know, entering exactly. the peak of his career, yep. you would imagine. So, uh, yeah, I could yeah. easily see that. Um, st- stay in, let's stay here with the quarterbacks. John Ellis on the line with us here on the rundown. Another route to improve the quarterback position for the Panthers would be to move up from the number eight overall pick to secure one of the top quarterbacks coming out this year in the draft. Uh, John, out of BYU, Zach Wilson, Ohio State's Justin Fields, and North Dakota State's Trey Lance, who seem to be the three quarterbacks behind uh, Clemson's Trevor Lawrence on most draft boards, which one would be worth trading up for in John's eyes, or are any of the three worth trading up for from eight? Oh, I, I think uh, all three of them. Were, honestly, if I'm looking at Carolina's position right now, you know, these mock drafts are so hard. I've seen our, <laughs> our, our friend Darren Gant posted something earlier about, you know, these mock drafts, you got to be a little careful because they don't necessarily qualify as news. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I get that because, you know, it, it's, look, it's February. I think a lot of these draft sites are trying to, and ESPN as well, these news draft guys are trying to create a little bit of a buzz and to get their big board out there and to sort of project. And I have no problem with that, but you have to take it with a grain of salt. Is Zach Wilson the guy? Look, uh, he's got some rare traits. His ability to throw the ball with timing anticipation, as has been well documented, is, is really top-notch. Um, he, he's a gamer. I mean, he's the type of guy that can take you places in terms of lifting you in key moments. I see that competitive drive in him, and I see that fearlessness in terms of throwing the vertical ball. The same thing goes for Justin Fields. There's been some criticism about his awareness, his pocket awareness. I, I just don't buy that. It's the same stuff we heard with Cam Newton. And I'm telling you right now, there, there was a lot of criticism about Newton, about being a one-read guy. He came right into the league with Chudzinski, uh, Rob Chudzinski, the coordinator, ran mm-hmm. a very sophisticated version of the Coriel offense, a lot of vertical concepts, and was responsible for a lot of things in terms of the pass game and handled it pretty well as a rookie. By year three, he was a playoff quarterback. Of course, the other side of that, you have quarterbacks in the top ten that do fail. It happens all the time. You've seen guys fall out of the league really quickly from that top ten, and guys now floundering. Uh, case in point would be Sam Darnold. Not that it's all his fault. He's been given very little to work with over the past couple of years. And Adam Gase, not exactly Bill Walsh from my perspective. So tomorrow's <laughs> an interesting day. Um, but if I'm trading up from Carolina, is Trey Lance still at eight? It's risky, though, because seventh overall right now is Detroit. Detroit no longer needs a quarterback because Stafford's gone. They have Jared Goff, a young quarterback. They might be enticed to uh, sort of reel in a team from the back end, maybe a Denver, maybe Frisco, to trade up in front of Carolina. So Carolina, to me, I wouldn't sit around at eight if you want a quarterback. If by the time this draft comes around, you have not resolved the situation, reportedly with Watson, where there's some interest from Carolina's perspective, if that's not resolved by then and Carolina doesn't get their their you know their big guy there, and that's still very much up in the air. Just let me say that. Yeah. At that point, I would think if you want to get good at quarterback now moving forward, three of those top guys could be starters day one. Fields, of course, Trevor Lawrence is kind of you know out of the mix. He's going to Jacksonville. And then Wilson, like I said, is, is so good. What I love about Fields, and we talked about this earlier, and there are some things about his game he needs to work on. He's got some raw parts. He needs to continue to work on some of his progressions. I get that. Every quarterback has a weakness, but what he does so well, throws with velocity. He throws the ball so darn well, Desmond, and he presents that athleticism that Matt Rule has talked about. P.J. Walker played last year. He gave you some of that. Obviously not great in terms of the interceptions, but what Fields can do is give you what Cam Newton and, and, and Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, these guys do. I call it hidden yards, sort of these bonus yards you get, bonus first downs. Because you're 11, you're basically 11 on 10 at that point. You got an extra runner at the quarterback position on some of these read option calls. You got out of structure plays where a guy like Fields or Lance or even Wilson or, or, or Lawrence, for that matter, all four of these guys have variable athleticism more so than Bridgewater to make those things happen without necessarily getting hurt on a, on a hit or two. Bridgewater, to me, look, I, I admire the work he did coming back from this injury, it's fantastic. I wouldn't rule him out for next year. Yeah. We've all, we, uh, Joe Persons and reporting on this. We talked about it in our podcast. At the end of the day, what if they just draft an offensive tackle? Let McCaffrey come back, get Bridgewater one more year to, to work out the kinks here, see if he can improve, get this team more competitive, and then 
off you go, and we get the young guy in there. So many options right now. I know I just talked for like 20 minutes there. But, uh, <laughs> the, other than Trevor Lawrence, I, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is the only guy off the table for Carolina. I think these veterans you hear, even with Russell Wilson, if that becomes a reality and they mm. offer him up, that is Federer's connection to that front Yes. Line. I mean, that's an obvious, you know, obvious thing. Now, he's, he's getting up there in years. Obviously, you get that same thing in terms of he's taking a lot of hits. Is that a good idea, giving up multiple first-rounders for an older player? Uh, old-ish player, I should say. But at the same time, Russell's a gamer. That'd be an intriguing match. Oh, man. It's exciting, Desmond, for the first time in a long time. I mean, it's been two Yeah, absolutely. Something to be excited about the quarterback position. I think fans are, are eating it up. But as I told them on Twitter, just it's, it's February 11th. One day at a time. <laughs> on the line with us, John Ellis here on the rundown. You can follow him on Twitter at One Panther Place. Before I let you go here, John, uh, the Panthers have two decisions to make regarding uh, two upcoming free agents that decide on their futures between wide receiver Curtis Samuel, who had a career year this year in Joe Brady's offense, and offensive lineman Taylor Moten, who also had a career year, uh, basically being the best player on the offensive line. Which one is the most important signing for Carolina and why? And can they keep them both? I don't know if they can keep them both. And more importantly, I'm not certain they're going to choose to keep both. And here's here's why I say that. And again, this is early perspective from my end. No reporting, no sourcing. But just from how I view this team building operation going, I'd be shocked if they didn't keep Taylor Moten. You have to have at least one solid bookend tackle to survive in this league. You saw it in the Super Bowl. Oh no my gosh! Oh my <laughs> it like Super Bowl, like Super Bowl Fifty all over again, oh, like a carbon oh, yeah. copy. It was crazy. I'm gonna tell you, I, I I said it was worse, and I go, I went back and looked at the tape. I looked at both games this way. I had to go back and look at Super Bowl Fifty, Desmond. Oh, oh I no! Had to do I'm it. so sorry. <laughs> I pulled a few clips from it, and then I watched the whole game on all twenty-two for the Chiefs' perspective. That that Chiefs' offensive line performance, man, they didn't scheme it up great either. They had a lot of five-man stuff. But, man, I, Mike Grimmers, I, I, I felt bad for the guy. You know, it's asking, that's asking the world on that stage to go against that defense, Todd Bowles, the stunts they were running. So, yeah, my, my larger point here, you better have at least one Pro Bowl caliber tackle on your roster. Moten is that guy. He's a right tackle. He's never, to me, going to be better. He's never going to be better at left tackle than right tackle. He's very much blocked in. Now, in time, can he develop like Jordan Gross did? shift over I, i'm sure he could but he's he seems to be a right side guy more comfortable there i keep him there lock him in and that leaves you with some options in terms of where do you go to solid up uh, solidify that other side uh, russell okung is a free agent doubt he comes back yeah i greg think he's little, gone yeah, he's gone greg little hasn't 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 you know measured up to to what they traded up for in terms of and that's part of the business it's tough i hate to be hard on him and he's had some concussions Tough breaks with injuries, but availability is key in this league, and that's been a bit of a disappointment. I think he'd probably tell you the same thing if he was honest. So now Carolina has to get serious about not only finding a quarterback for the future, but making sure, assuming he's a right-handed quarterback, who they all are right now, that quarterback <laughs> has a protected blind side. Because as Patrick Mahomes showed you, if you have him running for your life against that Tampa Bay defense, uh, of which Carolina will face twice over the next few years, every year. <laughs> you better lock that tackle situation up. Curtis Samuel, you mentioned him. Look, uh, I think the world of Curtis, he's so dynamic. Uh, he's been so underrated for so long, Desmond, because he's been dealing with quarterbacks. Newton, it started with him in 2018, later in the season with his shoulder. Couldn't push it down the field as much. 2019, we saw Kyle Allen's ups and downs. Yeah. Kyle had a hard time getting him the deep ball, overthrows, underthrows, consistency issues. And then once again with Bridgewater, you know, a lot of contested catches, great catch rate. He was, I think he led the league in catch rate by NFL's uh, next-gen metrics. So, again, when he gets his hands on the ball, that usually comes in. Great red zone player for a, lo a long time, a 2018-19 time frame. I think if I have this right, I go back and look. He led the league in total touchdowns among all wide receivers. That's rushing and receiving touchdowns in terms of red zone. Better than Adam Thielen, better than Stephon Diggs. You know, better than all these guys who are red zone threats. He is a very underrated tool. And I think, honestly, he's going to go somewhere, cash in on that, and, and get an opportunity to be, if not a number one, a steady number two guy in an offense that can take advantage of his ability to stretch the field. 
Because honestly, until Carolina, I'm sure this is part of Curtis's calculus here too. He's monitoring this quarterback situation. Do mm-hmm. I really want to stay here if they don't have an answer before free agency hits? Do, do, I mean, is that communication going on? I, I don't know. But Curtis, I'm sure, wants to get to a situation where he can be more featured and he can take advantage of his speed and separation and catch more balls. He deserves that much. He'll he'll make he'll make good coin in the open market. I really do believe. There's a lot of dominoes still left to fall here. And like you said, John, it's still uh, early February. So we got a lot of stuff that we can touch yeah. on over the next couple of months. I definitely want to bring you back here during the offseason as we get closer to the draft. And I uh, actually wouldn't mind having you on the Believe in Panthers podcast that I do at Tyrone Poole during the season. So we'll set oh, some of that great. stuff up as well. I love Tyrone Poole, man. I, I've seen you push that out there. Yeah. Tyrone was an original Panther. He was. He was the. He will tell you. He was the very first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers first that's round, right. um, and that's that's the tag I use whenever we start our podcast with him because he, he he loves letting <laughs> people know he was the very first defensive guy that was drafted by I the Panthers. See, but I he's did, great. I, I, now I, you know, I knew you were doing something with Tyrone. I didn't even hit me with the podcast. I can go listen tonight, man. That's great. No, tell Tyrone. There's a few names John Ellis wants him to remember. Bubba McDowell. There's another guy from that second there. Yeah. Here's another one. Eric Davis. Some of the oh, yeah. from ninety five. We've had Eric yeah, we've had Eric on. We've had oh, Eric, uh, Eric on, yeah. I talked to him on Instagram here and there. Uh he's a trip and I tell him all the time, uh, because you know he's on that ninety four forty ers team. Every yep. time I see him, I'm like, you know I still hate you guys, right? Like I hated that team. <laughs> <laughs> and he just laughs. I'm like you, Dion, all of it. Oh, I just hated all the Merton Hanks, the whole chicken neck thing, like all that stuff. I hated you oh, all. He's like, I bet <laughs> then he's like, I bet you liked Dion the next year when he left for Dallas, though, huh? I was like, absolutely. So, <laughs> oh, man, it's so stray. The NFL in the late '90s, man. I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard to match what that was. But uh, yeah, tell Tyrone uh, we we love him and, and love his work, and, and you as well, man. Doing a great job, and I appreciate you having me on this show. This is great. Same for you, man. I've like I said, I've admired your work from afar. Uh, glad we got a chance to finally connect, and uh, definitely we're going to make this more of a regular thing uh, again. John Ellis, he is the um, excuse me, he is the uh, host on a was it Blue Wire uh, podcast? Blue Wire podcast, yeah. Uh, the host of the Roar. So definitely go check that out. They just dropped a new episode, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a day or so ago. So uh, definitely go and check them out. 